0: Hey, good morning, church. How are you doing today? Oh, really? How are you doing today? Man, all right. For those of you joining us online, let us know how you're doing too. I hope you're having a great day out there in the online world, and it's good to have somebody of you here with us in person today too. Now, I want to tell you about a guy named Norman. By all accounts, Norm was uh, just kind of a simple guy who lived a very simple life. He was born back in the early 1900s. In simple circumstances, he uh, dropped out of school right after eighth grade to help his dad deliver mail, a simple job. They delivered mail by horse. Norm, when he grew up, worked a simple job as the timekeeper at a clock factory. And he lived in a simple home, a home of about 900 square feet for most of his 95 years. Norm had a simple routine, went to the same stores, lived in the same town hung out with some of the same people, went to the same church the entirety of his 95 years. Norm's life could be summed up with one simple phrase. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That was how Norman lived his life. Living for Jesus. Just one life, make it count. That was the way he approached life. And when it came to opportunities to serve God by serving other people, a simple yes was always Norman's response. Norman served on the gospel team. Norman helped lead the prison ministry team at a time before prison ministry was very widely accepted. Norman initiated the bus ministry for his church, driving a bus, purchasing a bus and driving that church to the other side of town to pick up those people at a time when it was considered maybe not the best way to spend the church money to get those people to come to our church. Is this the right thing for us to do? And Norman said, God wants them to be here. We're going to go pick them up. We're going to bring them here. Norman just lived his life that way, being obedient to God's call. After he retired from the clock factory, he went to work helping out the small Christian school attached to his church. And he became a custodian in his second job in his retirement years. Showed up every day to that job wearing a dress shirt and a tie to push a broom and to smile at the kids And to oftentimes smuggle a stick of gum to many of them. That was the way Norman approached it. He was a regular guy and he met regularly with other people. Simple meetings in simple places. Getting together at the A&W root beer stand. Sharing a root beer float. To pray with somebody. To help them understand the Bible a little bit better. Just to be a friend to them. To Norman... The least, the last, the lost, and the left outs always had a friend in him. I first met him during my junior year in college. And a couple weeks after I met Norman, I received a letter in the mail. Not email. This is for those of you who are younger. There still is this thing called snail mail, mail mailboxes, stamps, paper. You actually write with pen and paper. You should check it out sometime. It's kind of cool if you get a letter that way. And so Norman sent me this letter. I was in college and I received it and it wasn't just a card, but it was a note with so much detail written in it, including the prayer he was praying for me and the scriptures he was praying over me. It it made such a difference to this young college punk that this older guy had remembered the details of our conversation and included that in his prayers for me. So while Norman's life may have seemed simple, he actually lived a rather profound life. He impacted so many people. He changed the lives of countless people. He changed the world for all the people who knew him. From prisoners to young kids and older people from the other side of town getting on that church bus, to the little kids at that school, to the people who worked with him at the clock factory. In fact, when Norman was picking people up for school, this is Norman here. There's one gal, she's probably about 12 in this picture, but when she first began getting on that church bus, they would not understand at that point, when she was such a little girl, how their lives would later intersect. Because it was about 25 years after she first started riding that church bus that she became his daughter-in-law and married his son, Cal. And it was about 25 years after that that she became my mother-in-law. And I married her daughter, Jen. Grandpa Snow, as we liked to call Norman, was always taking steps to move closer to Jesus. And always encouraging everyone else to do the same. He lived by example. He lived humbly. He lived simply. But he loved in grandiose ways. Everyone always mattered to him. And if you were to examine the details of Norman's life, you would see that he always was taking another step, just one step at a time, a step of obedience, a step of serving, a step of faith, just to continually move closer to Jesus and inviting other people to join him on that journey. Norman knew what the Bible teaches, that the life Shared with Jesus that the Christian life is all about stepping into the life that Jesus has for us. Far from being just things God wants from us, the Bible actually invites us into a better life that Jesus has for us. A filled to the top and overflowing kind of life. But for you to experience the life that Jesus has for you, for us to experience the life Jesus has for us, actually requires some effort From us and will bring about change in us. Friends, I want you to hear that again. For you to experience the life that Jesus has for you will require some effort from you to bring about change in you. And I believe it will allow God to change the world through you. So Jesus wants to give something to you, to do something in you, and He wants to change the world through you. So that's why we are Taking this series called Next We're going to unpack some of the ways For us to move closer to God Because we'll focus on some of the most important Steps you can take And the next step you can take In your journey with Jesus To move closer to God Now I don't want you to think that these next steps and you've heard us mention the next steps at the end of our services if you've been around here for a while i don't want you to think that the next step is just for the person who's new to the church or just for the person new to faith or just for the newbie in this area i don't want you to think that it's just for the younger people our next step is something for all of us because we all always have a next step everyone always has a next step to take in their journey of faith so if you're breathing you've got a next step to take. Grandpa Snow Norman passed when he was 95 years old. And just a days before then, he was still taking steps to move closer to Jesus and live into his faith and live out his faith. And friend, your next step is the first page in the next chapter that God wants to write in your story. Your next step is the first page in the chapter that God wants to write for the history of this church. It's the first page in the next chapter of the history that God is writing for his kingdom, and he is inviting you into that story, into that mission. So today, I want to share just one of the next steps that you can take to move closer to Jesus. Now, the Wharton School of Business, which is a pretty renowned business school that does high-caliber research. Years ago, they did some research about workplace satisfaction what makes people happy at work, and how many people are happy at work. And and their study discovered, most of us already know, that about half of Americans don't enjoy work. About half of everybody who goes to work, they just don't enjoy it. They don't like work. They're not satisfied at work. Shocker, people don't like work. We all know that. Some of you might be that person. Some of you might work beside that person, the person who doesn't like the job they're doing. So that's not the shocker. But when they dug under the surface to find out why, that's when the real meat of the study became apparent. That's when they made their fascinating discoveries. They identified three types of workers. Givers, takers, and matchers. The givers are the people who will readily give of themselves. They're always taking on more responsibility, uh, volunteering for opportunities. They want to improve themselves and improve their workplace and improve uh, other people to develop themselves and develop others. So they're always giving themselves to that. And they don't keep score. They don't keep track. They readily give of themselves without keeping track. Takers, on the other hand... They're the ones who shirk responsibility. They're the ones who play around at work. They're the ones who are more reluctant to volunteer for opportunities. They're the ones who shy away from responsibility, and they tend to be a bit more grumpier about new extra tasks added to them. Now, the matchers, a lot of people fall into this category, they will give just enough To match what they feel they've received. So if they feel like they've been given a lot from the organization, they'll give back a bit more to it. But they never want to overdo it. (laughs) The matchers are just going to keep an even score. They're never going to give more than what they feel they've received. Now, you might think that the happiest people at work are the takers because they're bearing the least load. They're taking the least amount of burden. They take the least amount of responsibility. But strangely enough, takers are the least satisfied and least happy people at work. In this study and other studies that have confirmed this, it turns out that goofing off at work doesn't make people happy. (laughs) It just doesn't. Takers feel and verbalize a disappointment with work, a resentment for work more than any other category of worker. And it might surprise you that the people with the greatest level of workplace contentment are the givers, the ones who are always giving of themselves. Rather than feeling used, rather than feeling like they're carrying all the load and carrying all the burden, they feel valued, important, satisfied, and happy. They feel a joy to be at work. So the key to being happy at work is to be a giver, to give of yourself. But here's the problem. This study and other studies like it have told us that only about 8% of Americans are givers at work. Only about 8% of the workers at any one place are actually givers, giving of themselves. The givers are always looking to improve, to increase the giving they have for the organization and give of themselves. Givers are continually developing and looking for ways to improve. So the truth about being happy at work, would it surprise you that studies from Christian organizations and different ministries have found in similar studies with church satisfaction, with faith satisfaction, with people's satisfaction with God, that it's very similar? That those who are least happy with their church, least happy with God, are the ones Who are taking the most. And those who have the deepest levels of faith. And the deepest levels of satisfaction with God. Are the ones who are giving back to his kingdom mission. And fully invested. That might surprise you. And and it's what we call a paradox. It seems contradictory. That those who would contribute the most. And who give the most of themselves. And give more than what we would think is their fair share. That those people are actually the happiest of all. But as a rule, they are. And it seems contradictory that those who are always doing the least amount, whether at work or at church or wherever we might be, I think this study runs through most areas, and probably even at home, that those who are doing the least feel the most unsettled and the least amount of satisfaction. Have you ever wondered why well-adjusted and happy people seem to be in the minority? It's because life is this paradoxical what seems true often is not true that's what a paradox is it's it, a paradox is truth that is opposite of what we would instinctively believe it's different than what our instincts would tell us to do that's what a paradox means And that's why most people live on the wrong side of paradoxical truth, because our instincts lead us astray. Most people follow their hearts. That's kind of our instinctive mode. We say, oh, but I think this is what I should do. I'm going to follow my heart. The problem is, the human heart is ridiculously contaminated by sin. So unless our hearts are being actively shaped by God's truth, they will lead us astray. They'll lead us to make unwise decisions, to go to the wrong places in the journey we're going on. They will lead us to be unwise and it'll lead us to be unsatisfied. Can you think of some people in the Bible who followed their heart, who went with conventional wisdom and ended up on the wrong side of the paradox? I think of Eve, whose heart told her that she should serve forbidden fruit for dinner. Bad idea. You know, I've got one question for Eve when I get to heaven Did it taste good? Because if it tasted like really good chocolate, all right, I get it. If it was like broccoli, really? Come on. All of this for that one bite, huh? I think of Cain, her son, whose heart told him that his brother Abel deserved to die. That's just evil. I think of David, whose heart convinced him that he should embrace another man's wife and have that man killed. Think of all the destruction that came because of that in his family, their family, in that community. I think of Judas, whose heart convinced him that 30 pieces of silver were more valuable than loyalty to Jesus. And by the time he realized that he stood on the wrong side of paradoxical truth, his decision was just too much for him to live with. See, in all of those circumstances, in all those instances, their hearts led them astray. Paradoxical truth refutes what our sinful hearts initially tell us. And one of those paradoxes is one that we're going to take a look at today. But I'm going to let Jesus introduce it for us. John records Jesus saying this, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life... Now let me pause there. Hates his life doesn't mean you hate yourself, you hate life, you go through life just grumpy and mad and hate everything. No, it's in comparison, Right? So the man who loves his life is going to lose it. But the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hates it in comparison to what God's kingdom offers. So whoever serves me, Jesus says, must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now, the other three gospel writers... Captured this same sentiment. But they record Jesus at a different time. Saying something a little bit different than this. Might be a little bit more familiar with you. Matthew, Mark, Luke. All record how Jesus said. If you want to follow me. You need to do what? Take up your cross. You got to take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to find life will lose it. And whoever holds on to this life. They're going to lose it. But if you want To have true life. If you give up your life, you'll find it in me. That's what Jesus said. Now we recognize that statement that we've heard those words before. We pay attention to that part about carrying the cross. That we carry the cross. And this means that when we follow Jesus, our selfish desires are put to death. They have to die. That's what a cross does. It's an instrument of death. A cross kills things. And so we're really not carrying the cross of Jesus. We're really not following him until parts of our lives are being put to death. And that's where the paradox comes in. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for the sake of the kingdom will find it. It just seems contradictory. If you're going to cling to life, I mean, it seems kind of contradictory to say that the way you, you gain life is actually by letting go of it, by, by surrendering your life, by living your life for others, that that's how you find life? No, no, no. It would seem that the way we, we gain life is by clinging to it, holding to it. But Jesus says just the opposite. If you cling so tightly to life that eventually you're going to miss out on life, true, full, eternal life. And that's not just eternal life that begins on the other side of the grave, but that eternal life begins now when you put your hope, your trust in Jesus, and you're going to miss out on that. But when you surrender life, then you actually find true, full life. That seems contradictory. How do you lose your life? By clinging tightly to it. How do you find life? By putting it in God's hands. Now that's not just a difficult truth for unbelievers and non-churchgoers to grab hold of. That's actually a really difficult truth for a lot of people who go to church. Our natural inclination, especially the longer we journey with Jesus, is if we are not actively taking steps to get closer to him and we're just showing up, the natural inclination of the human heart is to begin to think that all this should be about me. All this should be about you. To fulfill our preferences and our hopes and our wants. And the way we want it to be. But actually Jesus says it's just the opposite. It's another one of those paradoxes. That what we do here is not about us. That we get beyond ourselves. And that's when we find the best thing for us. That we'll find that it truly is better to give than to receive. Because as we give we empty ourselves out. And God pours more of himself into us. And we do receive that way. Just different than what we would think is the way to do it. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that at the end of time, he's gonna separate those who follow him from those who pretend to follow him. And the way he will make that distinction, the way he will differentiate between those two, is based on the way they serve, based on the way they live. Jesus says if you spend your life feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, giving water to the thirsty, Caring for the sick, showing hospitality to the stranger, showing compassion for the least of these. He says, if you do that, I tell you the truth, whenever you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And then he makes this very challenging statement right after that. But I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help. Jesus identifies our spiritual maturity. He defines spiritual maturity not just by what we know, but by what we do with what we know and how well we serve others, by how well we give ourselves to show love to others. Now, we got to be careful here because I don't want you to think that we earn our salvation by what we do. Salvation does not come from what we do for others. We can't serve our way into heaven. That's not how it works. Salvation comes when we realize that we are so broken, that our sin has so marred us, that we can't overcome it on our own, that we need a Savior, and that Savior is not us. His name is Jesus. And when we realize that the way we lead our lives is continually going that wrong direction, following a corrupted heart, a heart corrupted by sin, and we lead ourselves into bad spots, and so we need God to lead us, and we need to surrender to the lead of Jesus, And when we put our hope, our trust, our faith in him, when we immerse our lives into Jesus, that's when salvation happens. So the action of our faith does not save us. We are not saved by how we serve. We're not saved by how we love. We're not saved by our compassion. We're not saved by anything other than Jesus. But our salvation is proven. It's indicated. It's demonstrated by what we do with others. We're not saved by what we do, but our salvation is proven by how well we love others. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 25. So as followers of Jesus then, serving is not just something we do. It's who we are. We are, as the old cliche says, saved to serve. That means as a follower of Jesus, I'm a servant of God. And when I serve others, according to Jesus' words, then I'm serving him. Church, this is, in essence, a huge component of what it means to be a Christ follower. So would you say this after me? I'm a servant of God. God. When I serve others, I'm serving Jesus. Jesus. You got it. And that is what Jesus defines for us to serve. He's speaking directly to the people who would reason that my time is for me to enjoy, that my abilities are for me to leverage for my own satisfaction, for my own joy, for my own good. And he says, listen, don't get caught living on the wrong side of paradox. Don't get caught living on the wrong side of the truth. Because if that's the way you pursue life, if you're trying to cling to life and you hold it so tightly, it's actually just going to slip right through your hands. But when you surrender your life to my kingdom purpose, you will find true life, full life, a better life than you could ever anticipate otherwise. My preacher buddy, Eddie, has this really blunt but catchy way of saying this, of summarizing what Jesus said. Contribute or die. I mean, it just sounds ominous, doesn't it? Contribute or die. Now, (laughs) like you're not going to forget that, are you, right? Like contribute or die. That's a pretty blunt in your face kind of way of summarizing what Jesus said. But that's exactly what Jesus was going after. You either contribute your life to the kingdom, you surrender and give yourself to the kingdom mission, or you'll find your life passing you by and you'll miss out on true life. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. What does that mean to lose your life? It means to die. So we either surrender it or we miss out on the true, full, overflowing life that Jesus has for us. It's the essence of what Jesus has for us. So this isn't a threat from Jesus. It's certainly not a threat from my preacher buddy or from me. This is simply a paradoxical principle, a truth to live by. If I'm not giving of myself, then I'm just dying inside. I'm missing life. Jesus warns us, if you decide it's smarter to serve yourself, that's just not the way life works, and you'll miss out, you'll harm yourself says one who loves his earthly life will eventually watch that life pass by but the one who leverages earthly life for the kingdom will end up with far greater far more life than you could ever imagine jesus says that those who pour themselves out for him receive more life to pour is if you empty yourself of you then I'm going to pour more life into you. If you pour yourself out for the kingdom cause, you pour yourself out for others, I'm going to fill you up. If you claim to follow Jesus, this is the claim he's he's asking you to trust. He says, I want you to trust in this. I want you to believe in this. If you give him your time, he will somehow fill your life with far better moments than you can imagine. If you surrender your skills and your abilities to his kingdom purpose, he will empower you to live more fully and you will find more joy and more happiness there. That was Norman's story. Norman completely poured himself out all the time. In a lot of ways, Norman lived a, a very simple life that others would have said, man, he's missing out on life. He had brothers who achieved great things in the world's eyes, and they were successful, and they traveled the world, and they owned big businesses. But the one who changed the world was Norman. The one who left a legacy we're celebrating. Not that his brothers didn't, but Norman's legacy is incredible. I stood at his funeral at the visitation and watched kids show up to celebrate the love of their grade school custodian. I saw people whose life had been a wreck who showed up at his funeral to say, Norman helped me find true life. He helped me find hope. And there was story after story and I only got to be part of that family for a little while before he passed. And I could bear testimony to the influence of Norman Snow in my life. He lived a life of significance. He lived a life of difference. He changed the world for everyone who ever met him. From prisoners to school kids to kids and families on the other side of town. For college students he had just met. He was a world changer and a difference maker. He changed the world for everyone who encountered him. So church, my encourage to you is to be a Norman. Go be a Norman and live that way. Live to change the world and make a difference in the people around you. Church, who here wants to change the world? Anybody? Anybody want to make a difference in the lives of people around you? If you want to make a difference in the lives of somebody, go ahead and raise your hand. Let me see your hands. If you want to be a difference maker, if you're joining us online, go ahead and just type into the chat space, I want to be a difference maker. Just type difference maker in there. right. I'm going to never hand one up. Who doesn't want to change the world? Who doesn't want to make a difference for other people? And that's the heartbeat of this church. That's why we're here, because we want to be a church that makes a difference in this world. We want to be a church that is changing the world by helping everyone we can find and follow Jesus. That's what we're about. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. And so for us to reach everyone, it starts by each of us serving someone. Dream with me for a moment. What would it look like if everyone in this church served in such a way that we were to give up our times? Everyone who is a member here, everyone who regularly attends here, that each Sunday we, we didn't have any more room for people to volunteer. We didn't have any more need for people to serve in different areas of the church because we all gave so much of our time. What would it look like if we served in such a way to our neighbors and our neighborhoods? If we served in this community doing things for our neighbors, doing things out in the community, if we served with the attitude as well as the action that changed the way, that redefined for the world what it means to be a Christian. Because you know, like being a Christian these days, It's kind of gotten a bad rap. There's a lot of people who carry the banner of Jesus and they have said some things and done some things. They they make the rest of us look bad. It makes it seem like being a Christian means you're hateful and you don't like people and we're being defined by what we don't like and what we're against. What if we served in such a way that not only our actions but our attitudes just erased that possibility for the world to think poorly of the church and God's people? If when they encountered us, they said, man, I might not agree with everything those people do, but they really do love me. They really do make an impact here. Well, what if we weren't known as just the big church with a green roof in this part of the community, but we were known as the best church for this community by the way we serve them, and we were changing the world around us. Now, I believe that begins at home, and this is our home. So there's a lot that happens here, and if we all gave up our time and served here to make this the best place possible so that when somebody new shows up, that they're, they were just overwhelmed with love, they were overwhelmed with friendliness and warmth that when they drop their kids off or when they come into this room that this is the best place for them to be. And this is the best place for one another. So I believe when we serve one another we're also serving those who are coming toward Jesus and coming here for the first time. See friends, we are literally on a mission from God to change this world. And I'll tell you, The world does not need one more mediocre church. There's far too many of those. So it's my hope and my heart that we do church a little bit differently. That we are an all-in kind of church. When we know what God is calling us to do, we jump fully in and we engage and we say, that's the next step for me. I'm taking that step and I'm following Jesus. So let me ask. If everyone in this church served the way you serve, what would the church look like? If everyone in this church served the way you serve with that attitude and that action, how much glory would God get? How honored would God be? If everyone served like you, would that be the kind of church you'd want to be part of? The kind of church you dream of? Now I want you to know as I prepared this message this week, Holy Spirit was doing some work in my life he was laying me bare he was tearing me open and i had to say man there's there's some places where even as your preacher i need to step it up and i need to i need to take some steps so i'm in it with you but what would it be like if we all were fully in church there are plenty of places for us to serve when you leave here today i'm going to ask you to practice what we call immediate obedience to respond immediately to the nudge of God on your life. And when you leave through these center doors, if you're leaving through the side, you're going to have to make a beeline. But I want everybody, when you leave here, to walk towards the stone wall. It's got a bunch of cards like this on it. And some of those cards are serving opportunities for children's ministry. It's All of them are serving opportunities. Some in kids' ministry, some in student ministry, some with volunteering during the week and cleaning the place and facilities. Um, and we have opportunities. Listen, God has put the call out there. We have made it available for you to simply respond and say, this is where I'm going all in. And so you can serve in the kids' ministry. And, and imagine what it would be like if, if you were the person who was helping teach the next little Billy Graham, Right? Oh, what would that be like? If, if if you look back and you're like, well, he learned it from me, right? Well, what, what, if, what if you're the person helping those people? And now maybe you say, man, I love kids and students and I want them to follow Jesus. I just don't want to interact with them because they annoy me. Like I get that. I had three kids. I know how that goes. There are places where you can serve in those ministries behind the scenes that you never have to interact with those little boogers. You just like, you just let other people love on them and you help them do the things so you love on other adults, right? There are places to do that. You can serve on our worship team and you're just like, yeah, but man, I don't sing. And the only instrument I play is the accordion and the ukulele. It'll listen, talk to Eric. He might be able to use that. I don't know. But there are a place for you to serve behind the scenes and to do stuff during the week. And you say, oh, man, but my time. is limited. We have time slots that are available. Time is not a distraction. Listen, God says, don't let that get in the way. And you might say, yeah, but my abilities are limited. There's not a lot I can do. We have opportunities for you to serve in different places for every ability level. But we have places for you to serve where you can come in during the week. And, and imagine what it would be if we could spend less money from the church budget on getting people to fix things and paint things and do that. And we freed that money up for like ministry use because we had people say, man, I'll, I'll do that. I'll take care of the place. I'll change some light bulbs. I'll vacuum the carpet. There are places for us to serve. God says the opportunity's there. So... Here's my encouragement to you. Practice immediate obedience. Make the decision today. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, I'm available. I'm here. Show me where I should serve, and give me the courage to be all in with you. And for some of you, you haven't started serving yet. You're, You're still kind of on the outside looking in. Today is the day you start And some of you, you've been serving, but you've been doing this like, I'm doing just enough. It's like you've got this weird spiritual quota that you think you need to fill. Get that out of your mind. If you've just been filling a quota, I want to invite you to allow God to start filling you. The more you pour yourself out, the more he's going to fill you up. Now, this doesn't mean we want to burn and churn and like, you know, have you spending 40 hours a week here. But some of you, if you've got the time, show the love. And there are some of you who you just serve your socks off. I see you all the time. And I see the joy. And I know you could get up here and you could preach about how God's filling you up and giving you life. And I love that. We stand on the shoulders of those who have given so much to this place to make this a great place. We're grateful. And for some of you, might just need to say, I'm, I'm re-up and I'm still in. As long as I got breath, he's not done. I'm still moving towards Jesus. So wherever you are on the spectrum, visit the wall. Make today the day you go all in with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful that you went all in for us. That no one can serve like you. You took a cross for our sin. And you didn't just invite us into a new life with you, this eternal life. You didn't just give us salvation, God, you gave us kingdom purpose. You gave us the opportunity not just to have life, but to have significance and purpose in life, to have a life that would matter and make a difference. So God, today we say, individually and collectively, we say as your people, here we are, we're available, God, show us where, and give us the courage to obey, and give us the courage to be all in with you. For your glory, for your honor, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.